Welcome to Food Chat, a weekly show that's all about food production, including farming, ranching, processing, and basically all things involved in getting food from the field to your plate. Now, let's get you reconnected to your food, and here are your hosts, Greg Bloom and Chef Jackson Lamb. Talk about an uphill battle, 2,000 acres of beans and cattle. Thanks for listening to Food Chat. This is Chef Jackson Lamb, along with Greg Bloom and food chat today we've got a special guest from denver paul bonacquisti paul are you out there yes i am you know um uh, greg asked me to take the lead here and i'm delighted to do so uh of course paul you and i know each other i teach wine fundamentals over at metropolitan state university of denver we were locked up in covid and i was trying to teach a wine class online that's challenging in itself. But Paul, you and I had gotten together and we were almost near the end of COVID. And I said, could we do a field trip and come to your winery? He said, you sure can. And so we showed up on the given day with 20 students and you were so entertaining. And uh, not only do my students still talk about it, but we took pictures and I think you helped take the pictures and they're posted on the uh, website at school. So I want to thank you for your cooperation in the past with Metro State and for the cooperation you're going to give us in the future. So welcome to Food Chat, Paul. Well, thank you. You're, yeah, you're very welcome and uh, I appreciate that. Very I'm good. I, uh, I'm go- yeah, I'm glad I'm hanging out on the web, uh, you know, <laughs> immortalizing on the web at Metro State. So. <laughs> Absolutely. But, you know, we've had a few other shows regarding wine, and I was quite impressed with your your small operation. And, you know, I think that's a great word to talk about. You know, bigger is not necessarily better. And you've got things reduced into a smaller area, but you put out some great products. So, you know, why don't we start at the very beginning, uh, Paul? How did you get interested in wine? And, you know, a lot of times people are going to open up a winery where the grapes are. But, no, you're in town where the, where the people are. But why don't you give us a quick overview of how you got started and how you wound up on North Pecos? Yeah, I, I grew up making wine as a family hobby. So my dad made wine in the garage. I started to learn how to make wine when I was about 15, 16 years old. And so my dad had learned from my grandfather, who was uh, uh, an Italian immigrant, came here to Colorado. He worked in the coal mines uh, down near Trinidad. And all the old Italians made their own wine. That's how my dad learned. And then and that was what passed on to me. So... Um, and actually one day I, I was, uh, fired from my real job and I came home and told my wife we should open an urban winery in our neighborhood. So, um, so it was really, that's how it started. She made me, uh, go out and get my sommelier certification before we opened, but we wrote a business plan and, and, uh, here we are 16 years later. That's great. You know, I, uh, my wife is from Pueblo. Uh, she's Italian. Uh, what you just said about your family in Trinidad is almost identical to uh, her family in uh, in Pueblo. You know, they'd get their grapes in the in the fall and they'd make their wine, and they, and she said it would all be gone by Easter. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that anyway, that's a great uh, that's a great way to look at that. Um, so Greg, 
join the conversation here. Well, hey, Paul, good to talk to you again. And uh, I go way back with you, all the way back to high school in Brighton. So it's uh, good to have a good friend of mine from way back uh, in the food business. There's not too many of us in the food business. And I think uh, for our listeners, um, you know, you'd think that making wine would be simple, but it's not that simple. There's a lot of things you can do wrong. And uh, why don't you tell us about the, the process of, of baking wine and it's like, where do you get your grapes from? And then what's the process you go through there on North Pecos to, uh, to make great wine? Yeah, um, we, so we don't own a vineyard. Um, so I buy grapes on the open market and we look to Colorado first. And then we also bring in fruit from California and Washington. And then we crush, ferment, and bottle here on site. So, um, so for my uh, Colorado vineyards that I work with, um, you know, I'm in touch with them. So, like right now, here this time of year, I'm in touch with them to see how things are going and progressing. But uh, next month, we'll uh, I'll get a little more contact from them to see how things are ripening up. Then once once they're ready to pick, we'll I coordinate a, a truck to pick up. Sometimes I have to go out, but uh, usually I like to just get a higher refrigerated truck to pick up the fruit and bring it here to the winery. So at that point, um, we'll start crushing. We have a, I have a machine that's a crusher destemmer uh, that destems the grapes and crushes them. They will go into a primary fermentation de- uh, device or a vessel. So uh, sometimes stainless steel, sometimes into uh, the, the actual harvest bin that the grapes came in. Um, and then from there, it's, uh, you know, the, we kick off the fermentation, uh, red wines typically ferment on the skin, uh, here at my place, I go for a seven day, seven to 10 day, uh, fermentation on the skins. That's where all the color, all the flavor is. And, uh, that's, that's the extraction we want out of the skin. Then, uh, once that the fermentation is, is completed, meaning turning all the fermentable sugar into alcohol, um, we, put all of that into the press and squeeze all the wine out. And uh, from there it goes into, um, it goes actually, for me, it goes back into stainless steel tanks to uh, kind of finish up its secondary fermentation uh, over the next couple of weeks. And then from there, um, then I'll put it into barrels to age and mature. Very good. So, so in other words, we're going to crush first and then it goes into stainless and then into oak? That's correct. Very good. So, uh, did you ever skip the oak part and then just stay with stainless and then bottle it? Oh yeah, for sure. And and in fact, the white wines I do and rosés I do go are are that that process. They I eliminate oak completely on those. I don't really I don't do oak aged white wines. Um, so they they always stay in stainless steel. And then uh, depending on the red wine I'm doing, I can leave them in stainless steel. Uh, for quite a while, I've done some six-month stainless, and then uh, finished it off in barrels for maybe three months, in order to keep the style very fresh and fruit-forward and ready to drink sooner than later. Very so. good. Hey, Paul, I know that on the calendar we've got the Governor's Cup coming up, and for our listeners, that's the uh, the competition uh, headed up by the Colorado Wine Advisory Marketing Board. That's actually hosted at Metropolitan State University. Uh, it's on the 8th of September. No, it's not. It's uh, 
I've got the wrong date on that. I think it's a little bit later than that. But you've been a winner of that in the past. Yeah, I've I've had uh, um, yeah I enter wines every year, and I've had um, you know silver and gold medals, and and then a couple of times I've had uh, my wine uh, receive a double gold, which which what they do is they uh, they called they used to call it the Governor's Cup case, although it's expanded a bit uh, to usually like fourteen wines, but they're the highest scoring wines of the competition, so. Uh, a couple of years ago, I had a uh, a Colorado Tempranillo that uh, scored very well. It didn't it didn't win best of show, but uh, but it did score very high. Very good. I do apologize on the date. It's actually next weekend. Um, I because uh, Doug Caskey, who is the director of the Colorado Wine Marketing Board, he said, "Hey, can I get some help from your teachers?" And so I've got two of my colleagues that are helping out that day. But you know, we start classes the following Monday, so. Um, I'm too busy trying to get my classes together, Wine Fundamentals. But uh, anyway, do you have plans on uh, entering this year? You know, I I did not enter this year um, because of, <laughs> I was limited on my Colorado uh, entries. Um, so I, I just I had to skip this year. Very um, good. But, but uh, Paul, yeah, here's a great question. A oh, I'm sorry, you go. Finish up. Oh, just to make a note, yes, the – the judging is coming up uh, next week, but then the actual uh, tasting, the governor's of the governor's cup collection, is coming up November fourth. Uh, it's called Colorado Uncorked, so that's where the public can go out and uh, buy. You can buy a ticket to this event and taste uh, all the highest scoring wines of the competition. Right, and that's held at the Colorado History Museum. That's correct. Very good. Say, Paul, when uh, they have this competition next week. How many submittals of wine do you think they're looking at? Um, I think there's something around 250-ish wine submissions from uh, uh, not all the wineries, but uh, usually 40 or 50 wineries uh, enter wines into the competition. So. Yeah, that's, it's just a, it's a huge undertaking. It takes a couple of days. But, you know, taking it down to the smaller level, you know, sometimes I'm in a classroom, Paul, and I'm trying to get a student to taste only four wines. And by the time we get to the fourth, they have already experienced palate fatigue. They get to the point where they can't taste anything anymore. And so I can imagine in such a huge wine tasting such as the Governor's Cup, uh, these uh, the wine tasters, the judges, they really have to be able to cleanse their palate and find those nuances in each of those 240 bottles of wine. Absolutely. Uh, judging in a wine competition is, um, it is a talent in of itself. It's not just, hey, I've got sommelier credentials or I'm a, you know, I'm a wine buyer uh, and, and you know your stuff, that's great, but it's different than tasting yeah, a hundred different wines uh, throughout the day in a wine competition. You just you have to have a talent for that, and you have to have the palate for that, and you do have to know how to rest, rest and uh, and refresh. Yes, yeah. Uh, palate so fatigue that, is a great uh, term that a lot of people are not familiar with, but when you really think about it, I get it. Hey, Paul, uh, this uh, radio show and podcast, Food Chat, is all about uh, helping people get reconnected to food and understanding where food and, and now wine comes from, and. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Chef Jackson and I talked about the fact that Colorado, especially on the western slope and down near Alamosa, is becoming a 
bigger and bigger place geographically to grow grapes used for wine production. And uh, people may not know this because, you know, they're not down that part of uh, the state or on the western slope. But uh, tell us a little bit about the grapes that are grown in Colorado. And I know sometimes they're not the typical grapes that you might see on the the label that you see from Napa Valley, for example. Uh, You know, there are different names. So do you blend the Colorado grapes? Talk a little bit about the Colorado grapes that you source and how are they different from Napa Valley? And do you blend them or do you sell them, uh, you know, uh, as named in Colorado or how do you do that? Yeah, the um, so Colorado grows uh, vinifera, which is the main winemaking grapes, and that's what you would see in Napa Valley. So we grow Cabernet Sauvignon, we grow Chardonnay, we grow Merlot. There's lots of other grapes, uh, like I mentioned, Tempranillo. There's Rhone Valley grapes like Syrah, Mouvedre, all do fantastic here in Colorado. Um, but there's also, because uh, one, you know, sometimes we have uh, some weather issues like late spring freezes, or um, maybe in, in 2019 and 2020, we had a couple of weird Octobers where the temperature dropped uh, dramatically. So, um, so a lot of wineries uh, or vineyards have been planting uh, hybrid grapes. And so these hybrid grapes are crossed between vinifera, which are the main winemaking grapes, and um, North American grapes that are, that are native here that are made, to, they, go, they make it through the winter. So if you... Uh, you drive around North Denver, and people have grapevines in their backyard. They may not be good enough to make wine out of, but they do make it through the winter. So they've crossed these two and make these hybrid grapes. So they, these have been coming along. Um, I actually have on the uh, bottle now on the shelf um, in our Sunnyside label, it is um, Petite Pearl, which is one of these hybrid grapes that um, is fantastic. It's a, you know, it's a big red uh, but it doesn't have the, this, it, this one doesn't have that uh, real tannic structure to it. It's a really nice, um, easy drinking red. But uh, there's quite a few others like, um, um, I just went blank, but uh, there's some called Frontenac is one. The, the other one from uh, Minnesota. All, a lot of these were actually developed at the University of Minnesota so, they, they, so that they can make it through the winters. Marquette, that's one of them. Baco Noir. These are all grapes that are uh, being tested out uh, here in Colorado. That's great. Paul, there was a terrific article, I believe, in the Denver Post two weeks ago that was talking about these, same, these very varietals. Um, the other issue worth just uh, uh, mentioning for our listeners is Colorado has some of the highest uh, vineyards in the world. You know, we start at 4,900 feet. Everything in California is just a little bit above sea level, and the only other vineyards this high is are in uh, Argentina. Do you agree? Yeah, I agree. Um, I I, I want to say there may be another obscure place that grows grapes, but yeah, forty nine hundred feet uh, over in Palisade, and then uh, when you get over to the West Elks area, which is around Peonia and Hotchkiss, the the vineyards are at six thousand feet and and even more. So uh, very high altitude, um, you know, you got Mother Nature already, and then to, to throw that altitude at you, it makes it very difficult uh, for, for these vineyard, uh, vineyard owners. Very good. Paul, I'm also aware, though, that there are some standard wine varietals that don't grow in Colorado. I, I don't think we grow Pinot Noir here. Is that correct? Well, actually, um, 
the West Elks area at that 6,000 foot elevation, it, uh, there is Pinot Noir that's grown there because it's a little bit cool, it's a cooler climate there than than in Palisade. So, um, and that's the that's kind of the thing to think about Colorado. And I, I don't know if enough people enough people realize that, but because um, when we just say, oh, it's Colorado grapes, but there is a difference between the growing regions. It's a it's a warmer climate in Palisade than it is in uh, uh, Paonia and Hotchkiss. So Pinot Noir does do very well, and I've had some fantastic Pinots out of out of uh, the West Elks region. Very good. Thanks for straightening me out. Hey, are there any other main varietals that we would see coming out of California or Europe, Old World, that we can't grow here? Yes, there are. Um, so the Italian varietals uh, don't do very well in Colorado, and that's and that's why you, you really don't see them. You may there are some pockets. I actually um, um, buy Sangiovese. From a guy, he has a small four-acre vineyard. I've been working with him since 2016. I think there is probably one other Sangiovese vineyard uh, in Palisade that I know of, and uh, but other than that, uh, and there's a little bit of Barbera, but overall they just don't. The Italian varietals don't uh, get ripe. Uh, you know, we have to have the right conditions. Uh, there's a little bit of Nebbiolo out there too, but um, they just don't ripen up enough. You have to let them hang a long time to, yeah. to really get them. So. That's that's uh, the short answer is Italian varietals sure. don't really do well here. And uh, time is something we don't have in Colorado. I mean, we are fighting, uh, you know, the uh, uh, the late frost or the early frost on the tail end in, in October, as you alluded to earlier. Yeah, we had a, a strange October in 2020 where, you know, it's uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, beautiful weather like it is in October, and then it just it dipped into the 20s. Uh, one day overnight, so it it did wipe out ninety um, percent of the crop for the for twenty twenty one, and um, so yeah, I didn't get any grapes from twenty twenty one last year. Uh, this year is very tight; it's bounced back, but not uh, only probably to about fifty percent of normal. So, uh, but those were strange years, and those happen all they happen in growing regions all around the world, but they're they're. Um, you know, these hybrid grapes, like we talked about, are ways to uh, get through that. So if something doesn't make it, well, at least, you know, the growers have some kind of crop. Very good. So, Paul, you mentioned also earlier that sometimes you source grapes from Napa. Uh, does that work the same way where you contact a grower, hire a truck, and have those trucked in? Yeah, I actually, uh, I don't source from Napa specifically, but I, I, have a, I have a source in the Sierra Foothills area, uh, in Amador County specifically. And uh, what's interesting about that area is the vineyards are about uh, 2,500 feet, which is high elevation for California, So, yeah. uh, but not, nothing like ours. But yeah, I've been working with a grower there for um, really for almost as long as I've been open. And so same thing. Yeah, they uh, they put it together um, and get it on a refrigerated truck and get it out to me. Hey, Paul, we've talked before on this show about uh, soil and conditioning soil. And, uh, hey, Chef Jackson has a worm farm in his backyard. I don't know if he has a permit for that, but he does. And uh, mm-hmm. I wanted to talk to you about, like, growing grapes. I mean, there's a lot of backyard gardeners listening that grow tomatoes, herbs, you know, lettuce. But uh, probably not too many of our listeners are growing their own grapes. So you can't really, you know, buy some vines and f- expect uh, 
grapes next year, I know. So tell us a little bit about the soil amendment and uh, these people getting into wine production now more and more in Colorado. What do they have to do to get a vineyard going? Well, there's there's lots of ways. There, uh, You know, there's nurseries uh, you can search online and to buy um, to buy vines to get started. And you want to buy something that's going to be uh, that's going to be cold hardy. And um, so, uh, uh, like for example, Cabernet Franc is cold hardy. Um, uh, Riesling is uh, as well. If you like a, a white, and then you could also look to these hybrid grapes. Uh, that that do very well. So that that's the first thing you want. You want something that's going to make it through the winter because here on the Front Range, the weather is going to be very you know it's very harsh. Um, so uh, that's the first thing. Your soil. Uh, I don't. I I have to defer because I don't know enough about the soil. I mean, really, if you're just trying to plant something in the backyard and get a get a little you know get some vines going, um, I think I think you're going to do fine and and. Uh, uh, just getting it in the ground, so and protecting the root uh, during the winter. How many years does it take to get to get grapes worthy enough to to make wine from? Well, you're going to need at least three years, uh, so uh, most likely three to five years for it, it to come in and then start start getting some fruit. So uh, I did this in my backyard uh, several years ago. I planted uh, six Cab Franc vines. Uh, and ended up uh, four of them made it uh, through the first winter. And then they, they were doing uh, pretty well uh, in the first couple of years. The only problem I had was squirrels would eat the, uh, after bud break, and then you had the little <laughs> tiny berries, they would come out and eat them early on. So I never even really had, a, had to worry about the birds in the fall when you have to net. <laughs> so wow. that was my problem. And, uh, and then I finally I gave up. I just took, I ripped them out. Very good. Hey, Paul, um, you know, I've been up to your shop there. Uh, at, I think it is at 4651 North Pecos. 4640 Pecos. There you go. I was, I was a couple of numbers off. But why don't you share with our listeners um, uh, what goes on up there? What are your hours? Uh, what do you offer? I know you've got a, cur- a terrific art collection up there also. Um, where does that You're not the artist. I'm sure that you're working with somebody local, but... When I came up with my students, they, they, they were buying everything. They were buying wine. They were buying artwork. Tell us about the shop up there. Yeah, we're, uh, you know, so we're the winery and tasting room. We're at 4640 Pecos. We're just a block south of I-70 on Pecos, and uh, we're in the same plaza as Quiznos. You know, it's where all the wineries should be. But um, we have uh, the artwork on our labels is very unique. It's from a local artist named Daniel Luna. And uh, we are lucky enough to sell his artwork for him. So we are kind of a gallery for Daniel Luna art, and uh, it's fantastic. It's very colorful, vibrant, and it just gives an energy here in, to, in the winery. So, and, of course, we're, uh, we're open for tasting Wednesday through Saturday. We're open noon to 6, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then on uh, Saturday, uh, noon to 5. So we do have live music events uh, usually once or twice a month where we stay open later on a Friday night. So you just have to check our website for that. But, uh, yeah, all, all are welcome, and um, you can just pop in and do a tasting. Very good. There's no food there, but uh, you make arrangements with a food truck every once in a while. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. We do keep some um, uh, 
you know, charcuterie stuff on hand, like, you know, olives and cheese and uh, nuts, things like that, just during the week. But then on, on bigger events, we definitely have a food truck here. Sounds fantastic. Hey, Paul, uh, we're about out of time, but I just wanted to ask you, um, I've been up to your uh, um, beautiful store and winery a couple times, and I noticed there was some uh, labels that I haven't seen before um, anywhere else. Like, uh, I think one is Bellarisa and one's Vinny No Neck. Would you, would you tell us where, the, where those names came from? Yeah, those are my... Um... <laughs> Those are a couple of our staples here. Those labels, uh, Bellarisa is a, a wine named after my daughter. Her name is Marisa. And my son, Vincent, his label is Vinny No Neck. So um, uh, those are our, uh, two of our perennial favorites. Uh, Vinny No Neck is made from Sangiovese. It's our Italian-style red. And, um, <laughs> of course, uh, he'll be a foot taller once he grows a neck. <laughs> That's how the story goes. Cool. Fantastic. Uh, Paul, want to thank you for taking the time to be on the show with us today. Uh, we're delighted to. Hey, real quick, uh, do you have a website that you can tell our uh, listeners about? Oh, absolutely. It's bonaquistiwine.com, and that'll uh, get you all the information, show you our wines, and um, and of course we have a uh, an online radio station called Denver Wine Radio uh, that plays twenty four seven. So if you're into music, you can check that out too, and um, it's all a representation of us, the winery, the neighborhood here, you know, the north side, it, all, all in one package here. Excellent. Very good. Paul, I'll reach out to you in the future. Maybe we can get another class to come up and visit. But, uh, again, thank you very much for being on the air with us, and uh, we will see you next time, okay? All right. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, Paul. Good talking to you. See you soon. Cheers. Cheers. Well, that was great, talking to a local businessman local colorado native guy that's making wine right here in our backyard and it sounds like he loves what he does he's very passionate about it and uh you know i think uh his location is just optimal because everyone's driving by i-70 and i-25 sometime during the week so stop in and say hello to paul absolutely you know i think in this show we need to really find those people that love what they do right hey, i don't i don't think he works well, no, he just has a passion about what he does. Yes. So, hey, good to see you again, Chef, and we'll see you next week. Okay, thank you, and I'll see you then, too. Thanks for listening to Food Chat. Today's edition of Food Chat is brought to you by RanchFreshMeats.com. Ranch Fresh Meats finds the best quality local meat products from family farms and ranches that we know personally. Everyone's trying to save money these days on food with food inflation, so one great way to do that is go to ranchfreshmeats.com, and at the bottom of the homepage, there's a place to sign up for our weekly newsletter. And when you do that, every Monday, you'll get an email from ranchfreshmeats.com with something that's on special. And we get specials every week from the family farms that we source from. So go to ranchfreshmeats.com and sign up. The views and opinions expressed on KLZ 560 are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect those of Crawford Broadcasting, the station, management, employees, associates, or advertisers. KLZ 560 is a Crawford Broadcasting God and Country station.